Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Real Talk. It's Lucas here, and I hope that today's episode informs and inspires you to have your own real conversations. As always, today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Trivan, maker of trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at trivan.com. A huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show and making it possible. One other quick note before we get into today's episode is that if you are willing and able, if you could leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on any of the podcast networks or platforms that allow for it, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that will be much appreciated as it helps get the word out there and lets people know what we're all about. So with that in mind, on to the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Real Talk Podcast. Uh, I'm excited for today's episode. Uh, we have on Reverend Greg Bilsma from uh, my local congregation in uh, in Brantford, so it's exciting to have you on, Pastor. Thanks for being here. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Lucas, and look forward to taking some time to talk. Wonderful. Okay, so today's topic, we are going to be talking about uh, the woke movement. I think that's maybe the best way to describe it. You perhaps have a better way, but wokeness, it's everywhere, it's in our culture, uh, it's here in a big way. It's a problem, and we got to know how to deal with it. So the reason um, Pastor Greg's coming on today's show is because he gave a talk uh, at the time of recording, probably about six weeks ago, something like that now, in this area, actually, uh, speaking on this topic, which was well-received, and people appreciated it. And I thought, well, I think uh, I think everyone here at the podcast could could uh, benefit from hearing uh, hearing that talk and, and expanding further upon it. Obviously, in a podcast format, we're able to ask deeper questions and kind of get some more follow-ups that way. So hopefully this is of interest to uh, to our listeners and they appreciate it. But I think uh, without further ado, maybe uh, Pastor Greg, if you don't mind, just give us a brief history of who you are, where you come from, and um, yeah, what, what led you into ministry, I guess, too. Sure. So I uh, grew up in Belleville, Ontario, and uh, born in a Christian family, raised in the church. Um, but... Uh, it wasn't until probably I was around 16, 17 that the Lord kind of grabbed hold of my heart more personally and uh, truly um, began living for the Lord then, had a real passion for sharing the gospel, uh, just really excited about the things of the Lord. And that led me into desiring to become a missionary. And I tried to go into missions right after high school. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I'd done okay. a short-term trip to Dominican, and I contacted that missionary and asked if he'd take me on. Yeah. And uh, he wisely said, why don't you get a little bit of training so you have something to bring to the field? <laughs> and uh, that led yeah. me to my first Christian school experience, which is Redeemer College. Okay. Yeah. And uh, there I met my wife. And uh, while studying at Redeemer, uh, studied some missions, and but just loved studying the Bible. And so that, um, loved studying scripture. And as I studied that more, I still had the passion for missions, but I wanted to be able to uh, preach the gospel and baptize if the Lord has called me there. And so after um, university, I married Charity, my wife, uh, and then we hoped to go to the mission field due to the Lord's providence. We didn't go. Things fell through about a month before we were supposed to leave. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where were you hoping to go? Uh, actually going to Ukraine to teach English. I'd been there once before. What year was this then? Uh, this is 2001, and it was supposed to be a two-year commitment to 2003. Okay. Yeah, so that fell through a month before our wedding. So uh, I was getting married. I had no job, no house, nothing. And the Lord provided everything. And with that one year, we ended up teaching at a Christian school in uh, Jordan, Ontario, yep. uh, Heritage Christian School. Yep. And then uh, wrestled with whether or not we should go into seminary rather than go 
on in the mission field right away. And the Lord so led, we went to seminary mid-America yep. and, uh, after completing there, had a call to uh, the Bethel United Reformed Church of Woodstock. Okay. And so we went there. We've had four kids now. Yep. Our oldest is uh, 20. Our youngest is 15. And uh, after serving in Woodstock for five years, I took a call to the Living Water Reformed Church, where I'm now in Brantford, and I've been there for 13 years. Wonderful. Okay. That's awesome. Well, very good. So I think um, we'll get right to uh, right to the topic then. And I think the, the important part, obviously, is to define what woke culture is. Um, this is a very, I would say, nebulous term. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to really get a handle on. If you're from a certain political persuasion of the left, you're going to view it one way as, you know, being very aware socially of all the uh, social inequities and whatever. And from the right, it's, I don't know, complete, like, left-wing ideology gone nuts or something. Like, yeah. just, just all, all the things you hear about uh, in the media today. So how do you, well, how should I word this? When you're looking at this topic, how did you approach it? How did you how did you settle on a definition, and what is that definition? Yeah, so when I was asked to speak on uh, the woke culture and woke ideology, we might call it, mm-hmm. um, I did a bunch of reading on some various books and uh, tried to look at a definition of woke ideology. And it's essentially what you began uh, hitting at already. It's just the idea of becoming aware or awakened to all the various uh, prejudices or... Um, uh, discriminations that might exist in the world and how those prejudices will affect people. Uh, you may have heard of things like systemic uh, racism or systemic prejudice. Mm-hmm. That's the idea that these prejudices are kind of um, buried and rooted in our society in ways we can't see, ways we can't understand. And therefore, our entire society and culture is oppressive to certain groups of people. And when you become woke, you begin to see those uh, sometimes micro-oppressions or micro-aggressions, little ways in which we will um, hurt others, uh, uh, be discriminatory, racist, uh, whatever it is, bigoted towards others. And when you're woke, you see that and you commit yourself to fighting against it. So woke ideology is the idea that you have become aware of discriminatory and prejudicial patterns in society and you devote yourself, in a sense, to fighting those things, to making sure you are no longer part of that discrimination, mm-hmm. and that you actually will even militantly uh, try to stop it. Okay. And on the surface, that doesn't sound uh, too bad. You know, we're called right. to stand up for the poor and the oppressed and, and the widows and whatnot. So what is a Christian to make of that then? Yeah. Well, one of the things you get whenever you're dealing with um, what we may call worldviews or idolatry. Uh, when, when you look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't speak about worldviews. It speaks about idolatry and other religions. And when we think of things like woke ideology, uh, it is a worldview, it is a way of viewing life that is idolatrous. Whenever you have anything that's idolatrous, the devil works in very clever ways. He never sells, in a sense, a wholesale lie. It is a wholesale lie, but he always mixes truth in. He always tries to give enough of what's good to make it appealing. And so when you talk about woke ideology, yeah, the idea of looking against discrimination, stopping discrimination or prejudice is very valuable. It's something we need to be aware of in the church. Uh, I don't want to call our churches woke, and we shouldn't be woke Christians. That's a wrong type of terminology. We're borrowing things that would get us uh, in a lot of danger. Uh, But we shouldn't be racist. We shouldn't be discriminatory. We have a God who uh, calls all people to himself. He builds a church where there's not another Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ, neither Jew nor Gentile. Uh, it's not about our race, our ethnicity, our income. 
uh, when we come to Christ, we are born again and a vital member of the Church of Christ. So that kind of idea of stopping prejudice and discrimination is wonderful. Christians should be against all racism. Um, even when we talk about those things, though, for let's say talking about, I was not thinking of racism, but sexism. Mm-hmm. If we talk about gender roles, mm-hmm. right, automatically we have to get into the idea that our understanding of standing against, let's say, male chauvinism or uh, uh, the um, prejudices against women would be defined by scripture. Uh, that's a tricky one because the right sometimes gets in trouble on those. Like if you right. see some of these, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy like Andrew Tate, who's very big in social right. media. He's got some opinions on some of that stuff, which are not great, but no. he also says some things that are common sense and make sense. So then it's, you got to be weeding these things out. Always. And that's, that's the idea. You're always looking at these elements of truth that have a twist Yeah, and the twist is fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the idea if you're uh, shooting a gun from a far distance, you might be off just a half a degree, and you'll miss the target by 20 feet, yep. whatever the case may be. And with these types of ideologies, a guy like Andrew Tate's exceptionally dangerous. Mm-hmm. We've had a number of people who've come through who claim uh, conservative Christianity, mm-hmm. and they are uh, teaching uh, another gospel. Um, yep. Very dangerous stuff. Yep. But, yeah. Yeah. It's tricky, though, because of the culture with the backdrop of the current day culture. It's It attracts so many young men. Who aren't who, a large a large amount who aren't in the church, but I would even say some some in the church as well, Andrew especially Tate's if you have been, a weaker family. Andrew Tate's been influential with a number of young men who are Christians. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no question. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, let's get a better handle on on what woke ideology is. So yeah. maybe we should dig into the roots a little bit. Uh, when did we start first seeing signs of this, and and where does it go back? Maybe let's start intellectually, perhaps first. Yeah. When you look back into woke ideology and when it began, it's um. It's debated and argued. So you have uh, a guy named Carl Truman. He wrote a book called uh, Strange New World. That, that book's a, a summary of a larger volume. It's a little more complex. And I've got the name uh, here somewhere. Um, the Rise and Triumph. That's it. The Rise and Triumph yeah. of the Modern Self, yeah. Carl Truman. And he deals with uh, three topics there, expressive individualism. Um, it's one of them and two others. At any rate, so he, he traces it back. And he looks at things like uh, Freud and... Um, uh, Nietzsche, uh, he goes right back. But when you look at the idea of woke ideology, what you're looking at is the element of oppression that is used as an excuse or as a vindication of uh, rebellion. And uh, things like Karl Marx with communism, very similar to woke ideology. When you look at woke ideology today and people say it's communistic, uh, it, it is. We had uh, a recent, uh, we've had a man from Poland in our church and uh, he speaks of how he left Poland to escape um, certain levels of communistic thought that he sees are greater in Canada than they were in Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, I had a recent uh, clip I watched of a, an older Russian man, and he didn't speak of himself from Russia. He spoke of himself as being from Soviet Union. Uh, and he said uh, that everything the modern culture, liberal culture, is promising today was the very same thing promised in the Soviet Union. And he said, I've already been there. I know what it delivers. I'm not going back. So that element, uh, whether Marxist looks at the idea of um, oppression based on economic standing, uh, class oppression, and uh, therefore you have the working class versus the proletariat or the the, uh, upper class, uh, the, the ruling class, and you try to level the playing field to destroy any kind of oppression or prejudice or discrimination. 
uh, in it. So that's the idea of uh, Marxism and communism, and it would definitely fit in with woke ideology. Um, but the idea of expressive individualism, and that's a, a topic that's very closely connected to woke ideology. So woke ideology is the idea of looking at any type of discrimination or prejudice against someone. And generally, we think of categories like racism or sexism, you know, being mm -hmm. discriminatory against someone because of their uh, skin color or because of their gender. Uh, but in our culture today, we have that um, married to an idea of what's called expressive individualism. That's the fancy name given. It's not often bandied about in uh, common yeah. circles. But what it, it means is that uh, who I am is defined more by what I feel on the inside than by externals. Um, so that's where you get the idea. Uh, we, Carl Truman does a good job bringing this out. He says we live in a, a far more plastic world, a more flexible world than we used to. Uh, everything is uh, able to be changed. I can uh, change my face. Uh, I can change my body. Uh, if I don't want to lose weight with exercise and diet, I can get uh, liposuction. Everything's uh, custom. Everything is custom. Yeah. And so you can shape who you want to be and not be defined by externals like nature that used to define you. I mean, go back 20 years. We had uh, a woman I was at an uh, outreach camp with, an athletic outreach camp. And we were talking about this issue as a group of counselors. And she said, I'm so glad it wasn't around when I was a child. Because I was a tomboy. And this is only 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, she was 25, 28, whatever it was. She says, I was a tomboy. I loved being with the boys. I loved playing sports. Yep. And if you had told me then I could become a boy, I probably would have swallowed the pill. I would have... Yeah. I'll be better at sports. That's Great. right. That's yeah. right. And uh, she said, but in, in God's providence, of course, I outgrew it. I hit puberty. Uh, I realized this wasn't uh, what I needed to be. But in today's world, it's far more plastic, far more flexible. And so the external doesn't shape who we are as much. And so you get this idea of expressive individualism. I will define who I am and the world must conform and accept that. So when you marry that to the idea of woke ideology, suddenly you have this concept that we can uh, oppress or be prejudiced or discriminate against people, not only based on externals like race or sex, gender, but also upon desire. And that desire is not mere desire. That desire is identity. It is linking um, their own particular wish to who they are. And therefore, for you to uh, discriminate, treat poorly someone with an uh, what we would call a perverse desire is to actually discriminate against their personhood and is therefore a act of hate. Uh, so woke ideology gets its power, it's, it's perhaps its greatest fear on the fact that it marries together this idea of discrimination with an idea of identity that is based upon uh, the lie of the devil uh, and the desires of the heart which are by nature sinful. Uh, so I can identify myself however I wish, with whatever identities I wish, whatever desires I wish. And you must not only accept me, but support me. So the, these, that ex idea of I'm answering this because you asked where it's coming from. Expressive yeah. individualism, the idea that the internal desires shape who we are, that goes back to the 16 and 1700s. Yeah. Um, it might even go back further. I mean, in, in the scriptures, you even see um, people identifying themselves by their desires. Uh, you see Paul uh, speaking of people um, in 1 Corinthians 6, not inheriting the kingdom, kingdom of God based on the fact that they are uh, homosexuals or thieves or drunkards, mm -hmm. uh, identifying themselves with their sin. And Paul says, don't be fooled. No, uh, 
adulterous, adulterer, homosexual, thief, sodomite, etc., will inherit the kingdom of God, yeah. and such were some of you. So the idea of identifying ourselves by our desires is not new, but it certainly has seen itself become more intellectualized in some of the um, modern f- the philosophers of the 1600s, 1700s, and that has come through today in uh, perhaps on steroids, we might say. Well, yeah, I was uh, just thinking, like, as you described that, and this hadn't occurred to me before, but on the spiritual side of things, um, yes. this seems like, uh, it reminds me of the parable that Christ talks about <clears throat> in the Gospels where um, the, the demon is removed from the man, but then seven more come in and whatnot, so he swept it all clean, and as the West has, has shed off Christianity and like maybe it was kind of a faux Christianity that was in there before, not so bad. That's just one demon. But now it's like, oh, okay, here we go. It's still on steroids. Yeah. It's actually a really interesting comment. We, uh, we've been noticing in our own city of Brantford that we've had a real shift in culture. Uh, a lot of immigrants have come to Brantford lately. A lot of people moving out of Toronto and Mississauga to Brantford yep. and it's created a, a diversity of uh, ethnicities and uh, backgrounds and my kids who are involved with some youth ministry and we've done some outreach, they said, boy, we love these other cultures because their kids are so respectful mm-hmm. and the families have good morals. Yeah. They don't fall for all this stuff. Yeah. And we discussed it as a family and one of the things we said is these other cultures haven't rejected the gospel as much as the West has. We've had far more gospel witness and we've rejected Christ far more thoroughly than some of these other cultures. And I think that leads to something of what you're saying, where we have um, cleaned out the house and not turned to Christ. At very least, they have uh, they they believe in the idea of a transcendent being, right? It's like that that they have to respect and deal with, right? And that just cascades down into their family and and the structure that's in place, at least there. Right. You see that morality holding on a little longer, but in the rejection of God, and that's a big factor in this whole um, the speed at which everything's taking place. Yeah. When we've removed all externals, so um, you discussed in, in one of the questions you posed is how the internet may help this movement. Oh, big time, yeah. And yeah. Uh, the internet creates an anonymity uh, that is not connected to who you are. Uh, we're no longer, ident- even in inter- when people introduce themselves, when you ask who I am, I, I told you where I was born, told you about my family sure. a little bit. Yeah. Um, people can introduce themselves now, and it's not based on that. It's, uh, I'm so-and-so, I believe in, I vote for. I hold to. Yeah. Uh, she, they. Whatever. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And your identity is based, even that, that, that idea of pronouns is remarkable because you're yeah. identifying yourself based on that own personal subjective truth. Custom grammar. That's right. Yeah. Nothing to do with externals. Yeah. So, and then when you think about it, God is the ultimate external. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the one who is holy, separate from creation. Uh, creator not created and we have cut off god and then we try and cut off everything else external to identify us and the result is there is no uh standard and we head downhill very very quickly of course yeah we've we've used to we used to believe in in this in the west at large that the cult um the ultimate power rested in god but we have wrestled that away and now it's in the heart of every single individual yes and Mm -hmm. it's it's it plays into the marxist thing it's just it's a power game and we're just we're customizing down to like the it basically at the, at the end of the day it's a group of one, yes. right? Like it used to yes. be, you know, it was it was sexism, it was racism, and now it's all these different transgender ideologies and the different, you know, it's crazy. It just segments all the way down. And it's intriguing what that group of one ultimately is, um, because expressive individualism is not the king. All right. If we look at our culture, we would say it's so. Um, it uh, it it breaks. It's self contradictory. Mm-hmm. So many ways it self contradicts mm-hmm. because 
you're not allowed to have expressive individualism unless you meet a standard the community and culture has set on what is appropriate self-expression sure so if my expressive individualism is opposed to the lgbtq movement i have to be quiet i cannot express my individualism no it's not allowed no and it's interesting because the ultimate goal when when you actually look scripturally two of these things whenever the devil is trying to tempt us he tries to tempt us by making us god right Mm -hmm. Uh, to eve he said if you eat the fruit you will not die for god knows in the day you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like god knowing good and evil Uh, when the devil tempted jesus in the third temptation as recorded in the gospel of matthew uh, the temptation is he takes him up on a high place shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and says all this i will give you if you worship me Mm -hmm. it's an intriguing thing because what's happening is the devil is promising everything but it's of course empty and what that uh identity of one ultimately will be defined by satan um it it won't be that we want the individual to speak it will be we want those who speak against christ in the name of the devil even if they don't know it and i understand that completely people are not speaking they're not all satanic who believe these things no. they're not all believing that but their promotion of the idea must be anything except for Christ, anything except for God and His Word. Yeah, it's the antithesis. It's yeah, because yeah. they've been deceived, and the lie they bought only works if they rebel against God. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, yeah, it's yeah. tricky. There's there's still a fair amount of nuance there, though, because there are those little partial truths within that. And I think one of those, um, and maybe maybe I'm wrong on this, but uh, people. You, you, I've seen Christians make the argument that there is some merit to the concept of intersectionality. This this idea of like whatever, like all the white men at the top have all the money and the power and whatever, which is yeah. There's a lot of white men at the bottom too, so it's it's not the world's most coherent argument. But there is yeah. How do we parse through that? I guess is what I'm asking as Christians. How do we parse through the oppression of of uh, yeah, like the world is sinful. It's full of full of oppression. And I'm sure in, in certain cases, and this often happens, and you can see it throughout history, where certain groups will oppress other groups. And and there is power to be had, and it will be misused, and it has been misused, and it will continue to be misused. What is a good scriptural lens or a good scriptural basis point for parsing through uh, that, kind of, that kind of talk, that kind of ideology, making sense of that? Right, so you're trying to say kind of where is the validity of the argument and how do we make sure we don't throw that out with the bathwater? Yeah, sense. basically, where, yeah. where is the truth and where do they yeah. go awry? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the idea there being truth in the argument doesn't take away from the fact that we have a deceptive nature by the devil, that sure. the devil is working this deception. For sure. Because yep. he's always willing to give some measure of truth in order to get what he wants, uh, in a sense. Yeah. Um, so uh, in terms of how that happens today, what would we affirm uh, in this whole thing? In other words, what would we affirm mm-hmm. in woke ideology? And I think what we can affirm is that, uh, yeah, if you look even at how the scripture speaks, why was the church so remarkable in the day of Paul? Why was it so remarkable in the day of the New Testament? Uh, because in the church, there was no slave nor free. Yeah, it broke down the barriers. In the, that's right. It broke yeah. down the barriers that yeah. were by nature in the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ideas of racism, the ideas of um, money staying in the hands of the powerful and the powerful using that to keep control, that's absolutely true. Yeah. 100%. And uh, we don't need to pretend it's not. 
what we need to do is say the answer uh, won't be found in a uh, method of an ideology that will uh, reject God and try to make mankind level the playing field. If you look at uh, communist nations, uh, the idea was that everyone was equal. If you read Animal Farm, uh, some animals are more equal than others. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the idea is that, that that sinfulness that leads to oppression will not disappear no. uh, based on a, a humanistic ideology. It will only disappear when hearts are changed by the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the neatest things uh, we had um, in uh, one of our times as a, a summer student in a church I was being part of a, a church in Kalamazoo, and uh, we got to know there's a, a wonderful, wonderful ministry in Kalamazoo where all the churches sent one deacon to a, a citywide deacon board. And that citywide deacon board worked together to care for the poor and also worked together to try and make sure the poor weren't um, overly uh, manipulating the church, you know, going from one church to the other and getting yeah, yeah, money, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But one of the neat things was, is, that, is that one of the uh, churches that had been a, more of an inner city church and it was really neat to go there and get to know them a little bit because they had um, a fairly high inner city presence in ministry. Um, so they had a lot of poor and smelly people in the pews, to put it frank. Yeah, sure. Uh, but they also had medical doctors. And it was so neat to see them all sitting side by side worshiping Jesus Christ. And as people became converted and joined the church, you actually found people showing spiritual maturity over time, of course. And coming out of the leadership of the church, uh, who perhaps once had a background that we would not expect to get into leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. So when we think of these things, what are some of the truths? We do live in a world where, where um, the heart of man is corrupt, where people oppress, um, and where people will use whatever advantages they can to benefit themselves. Uh, and sometimes those they love. Uh, but how do we fight that it's with the gospel and then in terms of how we come to the church and say what can we learn off of woke ideology i hate saying what can we learn off of woke ideology because i think the answer is nothing to be mm-hmm. honest mm-hmm. Uh, but what aspects of truth from scripture are reflected in the woke emphases and i think we can see aspects of truth reflected that we should gain as a church um one is to make sure that while we never yield in terms of biblical faithfulness on the role of women in the church that means to say that women should not be office bearers in the church, uh, pastor, elder, deacon. Um, we don't want to go uh, beyond the scriptures and uh, view women as a secondary class in the church either. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not uh, a biblical teaching. We don't yeah. want to um, recognize or believe that our uh, churches are based upon our elderships. Sometimes elderships are based upon um, people who have successful businesses. Yeah. Um, if you're a poor, if you're not a successful individual with a certain amount of money then you don't get voted in for office sometimes Mm -hmm. those types of things should not happen in the church it should be places whereby um the discriminatory note is uh how much do you love christ how much do you know christ how much you know his word and you have a heart for god and for his people and that should be the standard by which we bring into office and see functionality in the church. So those things are, are lessons that the Bible itself teaches. We don't need to go to woke ideology to get. But sometimes these things remind us of areas we've fallen. And that would be certainly one area that we could uh, be aware of and yeah, cautious of. For sure. Just on the point about elders, I was just thinking there too. I think it's, and that's a good thing to be aware of, is to make sure we're, we're um, voting for people who of, of all economic ranges you know, within the church that's that's very true but uh, do you think there's some some overlap between the skills required to lead in a business setting and then also leadership in the church 
Well, that's a really interesting uh, question. Um, because one of the great uh, struggles of the church in the last 30 or 40 years was beginning to take a business approach to how we govern the church and beginning to look at the church as a business um, and what it meant to run a successful church was based on business practices instead of scriptural practices. Like just people through the door, that sort of thing? Yeah. Customers? It, the idea of, words, yeah, yeah. yeah, how do we keep and maintain uh, a base and, and get them uh, satisfied, meet their felt needs, that kind of idea. yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was, of course, uh, rejected in terms of a model of, of church um, growth and uh, sustainability. So there might be some things that uh, overlap. Um, but intriguingly, uh, when Christ used examples of leadership, he didn't ever point to kings. He, he contrasted leadership in the church to leadership in the world. He said, the Gentiles uh, rule over you, and those who are great um, exercise authority over you, but not so among us. Mm -hmm. Among you, the greatest shall be the least, mm -hmm. known by service. Um, so will there be elements of a successful businessman that could also show him to be a good leader in the church? Yes, uh, but not first and foremost. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, it would have to be uh, the saturation of the gospel in the man's heart and life. If uh, if that is there, then those other elements may be beneficial in the church. But first and foremost, it has to be that element of service and humility True. and uh, love for Christ and others. Yeah. Oh, and if you look at Christ picking the disciples, the apostles, right? It's, yeah. They were just, you know, ragtag bunch of guys. So Meet Peter the fisherman. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The rock. Okay. That's right. So, uh, you know what? Actually, before we move on, you read, you did a lot of reading on this topic. Do you want to plug a few books for people if they're interested to learn more? Sure. Uh, so there's a lot of books that you can uh, get and grab and, and go into. Some of them focus on different things. So if you want a, a book that's a little more intellectual and heady on terms of the sources and background of um, uh, woke ideology, then you're looking at something like Carl Truman, yep. uh, whether The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self or um, Strange New World. Uh, if you're looking for something a little more race-focused, uh, Vadi Bakum writes uh, Fault Lines, and that deals a little bit with social social justice. He does uh, a very good job. I was going to say, it's a little more American, maybe, in, in that context. Most of the race stuff is American. But that's like, true. Let's be honest. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, most of the race battle and uh, critical race theory, CRT, has an American focus. In Canada, we have a bit of that with um, Native uh, Canadians. Uh, but it feels Indigenous like they try, to, they try to post it on top. Sort they of do. Yeah. yeah, the main focus is, unfortunately, it's actually quite unfortunate that the main focus of um, race relations has been black and white. I mean, even topics of, of Asian uh, haven't really broken through on the race discussion no. uh, so far. They get discriminated against they get discriminated in schools. Against, and it's ignored. Yeah, um, they don't care. Yeah, black and white is huge emphasis. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, if you're if you're Asian, uh, it's... it's they don't Stuff. care, I should say. Yeah. yeah. So the um, fault lines by Vadi Bakum is good on that. Uh, yep. Owen Strachan has a book called Christianity and Wokeness. Again, all a lot of the books are more American. Yep. Uh, Owen Strachan is definitely American, but that uh, that goes through a number of examples and, and hits how uh, wokeness uh, shows itself. He also deals with the church quite a bit in that one, and that's very helpful. Uh, at the end of each chapter, he kind of discusses how the church should respond and be on guard against it, which is a, a good benefit. Um, in terms of the sex side with um, identity and that kind of thing, there's a ton of books out lately. Um, and I have a bunch on them that deal with the idea of, of that and I didn't bring them with me. Um, Nancy so Piercy I, has something. Uh, yeah, Love, Love Thy, Thy Body. body. Yeah. Nancy Piercy is a decent book. 
it's not the best. Uh, Sam Albury. Uh, Sam Albury has a number of books. Sam Albury is a, a man who is redeemed by the Lord out of um, a homosexual lifestyle. And he writes uh, a number of books. And I, I can't come to them off. I didn't write them down in advance. Uh, sure. It was a separate time I studied that earlier. But Albury's top-notch. Okay. Uh, does some great work on that. Um, then you have Christopher Gordon wrote a new Reformation catechism. We had him on. Yep. Human sexuality. Yep. You did. Yeah, it was fun. Wonderful. We had a great chat about that. Yeah, yeah. that's a, a wonderful tool um, for, for helping families discuss that kind of thing. Yep. And then just for more, um, yeah, a parental kind of focus, uh, I plugged a book called Mama Bear Apologetics. Yeah. And Mama Bear Apologetics is by uh, Hillary Ferrer, and that's talking about how you can help your kids understand um, what world we're living in and how to prepare them for it in a good and healthy way. Yep. So much more targeted towards towards children. Good. Well, so, we got a lot yeah. of moms who listen to, so they'll appreciate that. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, so let's uh, let's move into a little more of the practical now that we understand the issue a bit. Sure. How are we going to deal with this uh, in our lives, in our communities, homes, schools, that kind of thing? Maybe let's hit um, let's hit the church first, community church. Um, how do we deal with people? People who subscribe to the ideology, and then especially people who, who are very much part of it in terms of their identity. Uh, I'm thinking of people who are, you know, LGBTQ, etc. Yeah. How how do we take that on as a church? How do we balance, you know, grace, truth? It's it's a tricky one. Yes, yes. So uh, a few interesting things here. Just uh, we bought a church building from a congregation uh, recently. We've been in there two years, and um, that church flew an LGBT flag in the front of the church sanctuary oh wow I didn't know that. and when uh one of the members challenged uh the, the leadership on the flying of that flag the leadership responded we don't support the movement we want to make sure that those wrestling with sexual temptations know they're welcome in our church and that's why we fly the flag so that's a fun, fun uh, response um first of all we got to be aware of what the signs mean and uh, what the language represents. Uh, to fly a flag, to say love is love today is not allowed for Christians. Uh, that, that, that's a slogan of the LGBT movement that, that seems to define all that is termed love as being righteous and good. Mm -hmm. We can't use that kind of language. Um, when we have things like the rainbow flag, we, we don't, uh, of course, use that kind of uh, tool or, or fly it in our... Uh, churches. Um, then you have the idea of pronouns. Um, this is this is heartbreaking. Whenever someone gives pronouns that differ from their what we call cisgender, cisgender is the gender you were born with. Whenever someone gives pronouns that differ from that, it's it's a it's a very tragic thing. Um, it means they've they've uh, bought into things to a point that they're identifying themselves with a lie, and that's just uh, deadly and sad. Um, so in the church, we would generally, uh, and I'll say generally to get to a specific point later on what might be an exception, uh, if you remind me, if I forget, sure. uh, yeah, we'll come back to it. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, we wouldn't use, uh, pronouns that would differ from someone's, uh, cisgender insofar as we know it. That's the generally insofar sure. as we know it. Yep. Uh, we might meet someone we don't know and we aren't sure and then err on the side of caution and, and whatever they tell you, go with um, that's that's the one exception I would have. Well, the, the thing is that no one ever, or some people discuss this, but if if I met you and I didn't know what you identified as, I, yep. it wouldn't matter in if we're talking one on one, anyways. No, you wouldn't. Right? It wouldn't It'd be a, I refer to you as a third person over there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyways, just just a small point. I thought it's yep. like people. You don't have to get too too worked up about it. No. Right. No. But there are those times when you might meet a woman who has a masculine build or a man who has a feminine build, and uh, you go by what they give you, uh, oh, lest yeah, you yeah, uh, put Trust your foot in your mouth quite badly. If you ever go to Starbucks, which my wife loves to do, and oh, yeah. drags me along once in a while. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, often. You run into there. trouble there. You do. Yep. Anyway, so, sorry. Go ahead. So dealing with people in the church... Um, yeah, we have to be at least aware of some of the uh, items going around and how to interact with them uh, and know what slogans to avoid and things like that. But when someone comes in, it, it the approach is so different based on the person. This is why God set elders in the church and gave us his word. Uh, he didn't set a computer program. It, it's, it's not, you know, someone says they're wrestling with homosexuality. Do this. We can't set up an AI chatbot. No. Oh, man. Almost. Eh? Yeah. AI would solve it all. No. <laughs> Um, but it depends. Is the person a confessing Christian or are they not? Do they acknowledge it's a sin or do they not? Are they fighting it or are they embracing it? Is it part of their identity? If they're not a Christian and they're coming in, identifying themselves in this other way, um, that's a different story than someone who's a Christian identifying themselves in this way. Mm-hmm. So all those things are, are massive factors. So the idea, the reason I began with that story about the church with the flag in the front, we should be welcoming to LGBTQ plus people. Uh, absolutely. Like anybody. I want them coming to our church. I want them hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yep. Um, I think everyone, everyone does. That means if they come into our midst, we not only uh, allow them to join us and have them in worship, we embrace them afterwards in a sense of fellowship, hospitality. Yep. Talk to them. Don't mm-hmm. leave them standing outside the group. Yep. Say hello. Uh, get to know their names. Yep. Uh, whatever names they give you. Again, uh, I think uh, I think First Corinthians, uh, when Paul's talking about meat, and he's talking about going to someone's house to, to eat. It's yeah, a yeah. remarkable story, First Corinthians 10, 25 and following. And he says, listen, if someone gives you food, just eat it. Uh, yeah, don't be a burden. Don't be a burden. Yeah, yeah, just eat the food. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they give you a name. You don't know any better. You call them by their name. That's what your mom um, tells you when you go over to someone's house on a Sunday. That's you right. You better eat their food. Don't be fussy. Yeah. That's right. So anyway, yeah. love them and everything else. If they come in and they're asking us to uh, affirm them, um, we had uh, we had a reason in, in interaction with a member of our church. Um, someone said to them, uh, oh, so you go to church? Yeah, which church? And they told them the church, and, they, and the, the person said, and they said, yeah, you can come join us. And they said this. They said, uh, what do you believe about uh, lesbianism? Because mm. they were a, a, a practicing lesbian. Yep. And uh, the person said, well, we believe that uh, Christ died for all sinners, for all types of sinners. Yep. Um, that he welcomes anyone to come to him. Everyone's welcome to come to church. And we would love to have you join us. And the person said, yeah, but will you say that what I'm doing is wrong? And that put the person on the spot. And they said, yeah, we would. And the response was that I'm not coming. So there's where I thought they answered well. Yeah. Um, we want to welcome, we want to include, but we're not going to compromise our, our message, uh, pardon me, God's message, yeah. uh, to, in order to make them feel comfortable. We're going to speak the truth on all levels of sin, including our own um, when we approach people and deal with people, we want to make sure we're never from a feeling of superiority uh, spiritually. Um, Paul said, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Yep. If we start looking at people wrestling with certain sins and think they are greater sinners than we are, we're going in the wrong direction. Um, we want to see people who have fallen into all kinds of heinous sins and lies of the devil and realize that uh, we have sinned against Christ Equally, if not more, 
uh, because sin is judged by the light we've been given in a way. Um, and so we want to show a lot of mercy and compassion for these people. Um, anyway, so it differs based on all kinds of factors. Yeah. You want to get into some of those and get more specific? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. And maybe we can, if rather than probably go over them again, we can tie it into um, if you have someone like this in your family or yep. in a school setting. Yep. I'm thinking we do have some younger listeners. So if your friends, your peers in high school or whatever, and then also for, for teachers too. Yeah, I deal with that. So that's that's a broad, you know. Yeah, go where you want there. Yeah, so the Bible differentiates between having something to do with someone who's a sinner and have something to do with someone who's a sinner and yet claims to be a Christian. Mm, yep. Two different things. Yep. Uh, so First Corinthians five is where that differentiation is uh, described. In First Corinthians five, Paul says this: "I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people." Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers. Notice how Paul links together sexual immorality with greed, swindlers, and he goes on to say, or idolaters. Uh, so he's not, uh, you know, this is not the great sin. Uh, it's just like greed, yep. just like swindling. Uh, this is a sin. So he's saying, I, I wrote you not to associate with sexual immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters, but I didn't mean the sexual immoral of this world since then you, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an adulterer, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, and not even to eat with such a one. So that's a, a bit of a differentiation. So when we're dealing with someone, let's say, who is um, a friend group, all right? So you've got a friend and they're claiming to be uh, homosexual. They're a girl who's claiming to be a boy, boy claiming to be a girl. And they say they're a Christian. And there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Then the Bible tells us in First Corinthians 5, we shouldn't have anything to do with that person. In other words, if they're saying that, we challenge them on it. We follow, of course, Matthew 18. Uh, yes. Challenge them on it. Yep. But if they refuse to heed that admonition, if they refuse to repent, if they won't listen to that kind of thing, and they say, listen, I am a Christian. I am a practicing homosexual. God loves me. God's fine with it. You better accept it. We walk away. And we actually have to lose that relationship. It can be maintained in some levels in terms of trying to minister, but if it's the ministry's been uh, given an effort, they've rejected it, we can't uh, keep going at the same level. Mm-hmm. If there is someone in a friend group and they are wrestling with same-sex attraction. A bit of a different thing. It's a different thing. Yeah. They're questioning their gender. Like We live in a world where this kind of thing is forced down your throat all the time. Yeah. And that is going to cause many people to think of things they hadn't thought of before. So here's, here's a fun story. I had a really good friend in grade school. We were so close. We had a lot of fun. We played sports together, played video games together way too late in the night. Had a great relationship till his mom took him aside one day and said to him, son, are you gay? And it's because we were very close friends. Now we had nothing like that at all in our relationship. But he told me that. He said, guess what my mom did last night? She asked if I was gay. And after that, our relationship stank. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was just, it went awkward and it was weird. And we, yeah, we actually kind of started parting ways a little bit because it really put a weird twist on the relationship, a weird thing. And uh, so now take a look at this world where that's constantly thrown at people. Yeah, We're going to see people who are even raised in the church um, questioning themselves because they have a good friend who's a boy and they're a boy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Girls, having a good friend who's a girl, they're going to wonder if that means they're a lesbian. It doesn't. Um, 
right? I and mean, the, these things are not automatic. And then what does that mean for your faith? And, and what that, exactly? Right? Yeah. So when we have someone who's wrestling with these things and they're a friend, yeah. um, then we we have the, a completely different focus. Yeah. When they're saying I'm a Christian, I'm doing this. It's not wrong. Accept me. We rebuke them. We 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 admonish them. Yeah. If they won't hear that, we separate ourselves from them. But that's like at the farther end of it. Like that's usually at the end of a process. That's right. Thing, right. Yeah. 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 It's not tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but you can't go on forever if they're persisting in sin. You just True. you just can't True. stay with it. Yeah. Um, but if someone's wrestling with this or having questions, how do we deal with that? Well, in that kind of case, then we there's a number of factors that come in. First of all, we have to hold on to grace and truth, love uh, and uh, justice, so to speak. Yeah. Um, we want to make sure that we're speaking to someone saying, well, why do you think that? Mm-hmm. What's your struggle? What have you done with it? Have you gone to God? Have you asked him to help you? You know, can I help you with that? Have you talked to your mom? Have you talked to your dad? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you talked to your pastor? Um, where are they at? What are they going through? Why is it there? Uh, get to hear someone and and uh, bear with them and see what kind of struggles they're facing and, and try and help them carry them uh, as much as we're able to. And and I want to be careful in that. I know that if we're speaking about children, you know, I don't want to overwhelm kids with carrying burdens they can't carry. And sometimes even in high school, yeah. you'll have high school relationships where someone who really wants to help someone um, thinks that they can be their Christian counselor. Mm. Or you know, sure. it, it's yeah. that Messiah that complex. I can, yeah. I can carry. I can fix them. I can fix them. Yeah, yeah. And we can't. I don't want to. I don't want to put anyone under the bus, so to speak. And that is that they are so burdened down by someone else's struggle and sin, and they feel like they have to be the only one hearing them out. That they are just weighed down, and there you get oppressed, and they feel struggling because they can't handle all this person's uh, confessions. Mm-hmm. But so, in other words, be a friend. Yeah. Don't be a Christian counselor, but be a friend. Yep. Yep. And uh and in that regard, um, don't shun them. Yep. Uh don't cast them out of a group. Don't exclude them from things that you might otherwise have included them. Um keep them in your connection. I hope if you have uh interactions, I know a lot of our young people, the things they do might include stuff like that's fun. They go laser tagging or they go play some sports or they go have a board game night. They also have things that are spiritual, they go to a youth conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to a, a praise night yeah. and invite them to both. <laughs> yeah. Right? Let's let's include them in, in life entirely. Um, and let's recognize that we all have areas of struggle with sin. And they're not all the same. Mm-hmm. I never never struggled with drunkenness as a child, as a young person. I never struggled with the temptation of alcohol. I had a situation in my life that led me to see the dangers of alcohol early on. Sure. And it was never a temptation. Yep. Um, I was very pharisaical and very judgmental yep. to other Christians who did. Yep. Terrible. Uh, but I had sins yep. that were far worse that I excused because they were mine. Yeah, that's the easy right? part. Yeah. 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 yeah, we all do that. Yeah. 100%. So you get you get people, and we all struggle with sexual temptation of some kind. For sure. And so we see one sexual temptation, and our thought is to um, condemn and uh, malign. Yep. But we have our own sexual temptation, and that's uh, toyed with. Uh, it's okay, written off, not a big deal. Yeah, porn. Um, we talk about it. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. You bet. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's a huge problem. Yeah. And so um, when I deal with someone else, I need to be able to look honestly at my level of sin and how much I need Christ, mm-hmm. and know they need the same Savior. 
And even if they start struggle with something different than I do, uh, the grace of God that forgives my sin is the grace of God that forgives their sin. So when you have a friend struggling with these kinds of things and it's um, not a struggle and they're, they're wrestling with these things, and they're questioning, um, be a listening ear. Uh, try and connect them with those who can be a better help than you, especially if you're young. Yep. Don't take everything on. Try and connect them with a parent, a Christian counselor. Um, and then as churches, as parents, uh, we need to be able to hear about sins that might disgust us without being disgusted. Um, Vadi Bachman wrote the book Fault Lines. I once heard him speak at a conference, and he said that he had a woman come to him and, and need to speak to uh, him about a struggle with her son. And he told the story of how before he spoke to this woman, he just took a moment to compose himself and put on what he called his pastor's face. And then he described to the crowd what a pastor's face was. And he goes, a pastor's face is when I kind of steal my features so that whatever I hear out of the person's mouth, I don't respond with a <gasps> kind of response. You know, I don't want to respond in a way that will make them think their sin is unforgivable. Their sin is the worst in the world. So he tries to put on a bit of a mask. So whatever comes, he's he's ready to hear it and and respond in a way that would be biblical and not just... Mm-hmm. Yep. But, but there are sins that disgust us, and, and they rightly disgust us. Yeah. And in our world and culture, they're coming fast. And our kids are facing them far more than we ever were. So when parents hear their children struggle with a sin that disgusts them, they have, to, they have to be very careful. They have to put on a pastor's face. Their kid wants to talk to them about something serious. You have to mentally prepare as a parent that whatever your child is going to say, you're not going to respond like, I can't believe it. That's, yeah, that's disgusting. Like, that's wh- disgusting. How, you, how could you do that? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It is disgusting. All sin is disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, um, certain sins have a, a higher level of degradation. I don't want to minimize that. Sure. Yep. Uh, but when we deal with that as parents, we have to be able to hear a child's confession of sin and acknowledgement of sin and recognize the... Um, what an act of grace and the Holy Spirit it is to bring confession. Right? When, when, when someone comes acknowledging a sinful struggle, that's not done by the strength of man. Um, if I come to my parents and I acknowledge I've been sinning, I, I can't do that by human strength. This is, this is uh, something that the Spirit is motivating in my heart and life. Yeah, nobody wants to have that conversation. Nobody wants that conversation. And as a parent, I have to recognize that God is already at work when my son or daughter comes to me. And I don't want to quench the Spirit. I don't want to destroy the work of God. I want to cultivate that work. And so I want to respond as I think God would respond to that child. If they came to God with this confession, what would he do? If they came to Christ with this confession, how would he respond? And I think he would respond in a way where he would uh, receive any, any... him who comes to me, Joel 2, I will by no means cast out, quoted in Romans 10 and in Acts 2, as well as uh, evidence of the gospel in the spirit age. Um, if we had, uh, you know, the, uh, the the gang leader come to us and confess 20 murders and and uh, serial rapes and whatever else, and he said, I, I did it all and I need to come to Jesus and be forgiven, we'd say, what an amazing thing. I can't believe you're coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's going to be a tough road. And you're going to have to accept the consequences of your sins and go to the justice and yeah. let them know what you did. Yeah, yeah. Go to jail, whatever else. But, praise God. Uh, so as parents, when we deal with this with our children, our children are helping and walking with others in the same way. When I have that kind of mentality, 
We also want to be on guard. One of the greatest um, promoters of woke ideology, and especially in terms of one of the greatest um, contributors to compromising truth in terms of sexual purity and biblical sexuality, is when someone you love is wrestling with it. Um, if we look at, if you look at how people go liberal, so to speak, how they leave scriptural standards on believing what is pure sexually or not, oftentimes there's a story about a brother, a son, a daughter who wrestled with this and they were good people and they were kind and they had, uh, someone they cared for deeply and it was witnessed personally. Um, so not only do you want to be ready to receive them, but we also be ready to realize that when we have an idol in our lives, we will serve it above God. And one of the unspoken idols in many Christian families is the family. It is the children. It is that unit which is supposed to be used for the glory of God. And so when we have a child who's wrestling with us, we need to not only be aware and compassionate and helpful, we also need to be aware of how we may, because of our love for our child, be more easily uh, compromising the truth of God's word. And mm-hmm. we don't want to do that. It won't help our kid. And it won't help us. So well, that, that does relate to uh, <clears throat> one of the questions I had down here about the lies that we accept uh, ourselves that we don't realize. And I think that would be <clears throat> the idol family would certainly be up there. You mentioned a bit of that in your talk, though. Are, are there other common lies that we need to be on guard against uh, to to avoid yeah, falling away like that. Hmm. Well, if you're thinking about falling away and and uh, ways in which we can respond falsely that would lead to um, uh, a wrong gospel response, uh, there certainly are. Um, we kind of mentioned uh, minimizing our own sins. So pride uh, can be a terrible thing that can cause us to fall away, mm-hmm. um, especially as we live in a more polarizing culture as it seems it's us against them, we can really think of ourselves on the side of right in a way that isn't uh, biblically centered. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it puts us too high and Christ too low. Yep. Um, so that's something to watch out for. Uh, anytime we use our own identity to minimize or excuse sin, uh, we're bor- borrowing the same woke ideology, the devil's playbook. Uh, you know, we yell at our spouse and we say, I just had a hard day at work. I'm tired. I am tired. Therefore I can sin. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I was really stressed. Therefore I can sin. Uh, certainly uh, fatigue, uh, calls for sensitivity. You know, if, if I, uh, if my wife has not slept for three days, you know, you've got a young, uh, wife and she's got a baby if she hasn't slept for two or three days and she's a little bit uh, shorter tempered with you i hope you are very gracious because you understand she's in a tougher situation certainly there are circumstances that call for greater grace in how we respond to sin but that never excuses sin and um, sometimes we can excuse sin based on what we think we are or temptations we've always fallen to um like uh, we mentioned this before in the church, you can have someone who maybe has a very short temper and you can just say that's the way they are and excuse their temper. Yeah. And we can't do that. The Bible changes our identity. It changes yep. who we are. It addresses sins that are inherent in our very heart. Yeah. Um, and we can't allow that to happen. We have to allow God's word and spirit to shape 
um, the center of who we are as people. Yeah, it can be so easy to see it in others. And if we talk about this movement and we break it down, we're yeah. Like, oh yeah, look at all these people going astray, and wow, look at them. But yeah, the same patterns are there. We just have to look closely at and see our own sins as well. Absolutely. Okay, so um, how about we move on to yeah, this movement. It has a tremendous amount of power, as we discussed. It's got a tremendous amount of cultural cachet, if you will. It's here to stay. It's a problem. It's not going away. Not trying to rhyme there. That's just what happened. Um, (laughs) This isn't a rap battle. Uh, Anyways, how do we, going forward, what can we expect, um, I think, persecution-wise? What should we be prepared for? How uh, can the church both stand on guard, but then also be welcoming to, to the people affected by this movement and to, again, the whole the grace and truth dichotomy there. Well, you, you asked two questions there. One was, how, what's coming and how can we be prepared for the future? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. So what's coming, I don't know. That's fair. It, it seems so, um, we saw in Canada, Canada has gone forward remarkably fast with woke ideology. We had a family go to Europe for a month and uh, we asked them how it was and they shared a number of great stories and then they said also it wasn't as woke as canada really yeah wow blew them away we had friends come from holland um and i don't want to get into covid debates on the show but we had friends come from holland well, we've done that yeah. and we have already all right oh, yeah. and, and they yeah. came here and they said uh is it true that canadians lost their jobs because they wouldn't get the jab the vaccine yeah and we said, absolutely. We, we have friends who lost their jobs yeah, so they sure. wouldn't get vaccinated. We have members yep. of our church who lost their jobs. We had a nurse who lost her job. Um, and we said, we didn't, you didn't have that in Holland. And they said, no. There was, the government mentioned it. And the whole nation rose up. And everyone rejected it so soundly. And petitions were signed with millions of signatures. And they, they basically said, we remember World War II. We remember the segregation that came. And we are not doing it again. Wow, we are not going to split our society. I didn't hear uh, about this. In this kind of oh, it doesn't get publicized. Remarkable, remarkable. So they came and they said, "We can't believe how woke Canada is." From Holland. Wow, and I always think like I just oh, think yeah. they're left over there. Like oh yeah, it's more liberal across no. the pond, and it'll come this way. But yeah, we always think U.S. is the strongest. Yeah, and Europe's the weakest, and Canada's in between the two. Exactly. But no, Europe is actually less woke than Canada. Wow. Uh, from what I've heard in these limited, limited snatches in Europe as many countries. And so yeah, I'm, that's, I'm just that's a broad brush. But, but anyway, so what am I saying? Uh, I don't know the future. Yeah. In the U.S., we're seeing strong pushback against um, certainly transgenderism in and certainly especially. the woke uh, agenda in that regard. Yep. Uh, strong pushback. Um, I don't know if we have that in this country. Oh, we don't have that in this country. We hear of it right now through the news. So what does the future hold? I have no clue. Will Trudeau tamp down on internet censorship to a degree that we won't hear the counter stories? I have no clue. Will Canada become an insular nation where uh, the woke movement grows in power and persecution regardless of what happens in the rest of the world? I have no clue. Is it possible? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. We know that God allows times where he, uh, Romans 1, 18 and following, where a nation under wrath is allowed to go forward in their sin. He gives them up to sin. Yep. Is he doing that in our country? He already has. We have been given up to sin in some remarkably horrible ways. We, as a country, have shown that we're a nation under wrath, that God is letting us run headlong. 
in the course. Killing the old and the young. Absolutely. Will he allow a time where that's arrested and stopped and turned around for a time? I don't know. Um, But what does the future hold? Well, first of all, there's a few options. So one is we, we go into a greater time of persecution and we see the church sanctified and purified. Um, we see who will stand. And uh, in that regard, we need to remember um, one thing that sometimes is touted uh, by what I would call the liberal church is that we only stand for gospel issues. So this happened recently. In a, uh, if I can say it, the Christian Reformed Church, you can edit it later if you want. No, that's fine. They had a synod just a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, where they discussed a um, paper that they, or a position paper they'd accepted last year at synod. On same-sex marriage? On homosexuality, on, on sexuality in general. Yeah. Uh, very good paper, uh, very solidly written. They have made a good stand yes, back in, in 2022. Like, yeah, scriptural So in 2023, the question yeah. was, what would happen? And they had three sides. They had the one side that was pro-LGBT uh, and everything with it. The second side was uh, contrary to that and stand on scripture. Yep. And then they have what they actually literally called the third way. And the way the third way introduced themselves was, we stand on the gospel and the mission calling of the church, and recognize there are non-essentials in the scripture that do not... Yeah, you're la- what are you laughing for? This is the devil's best stuff. How can you just see through it so fast? No. Non-essentials in the gospel that we don't want to hinder the work of the gospel or the unity of the church. And so the third way was, let every church decide in their own eyes what is right. If they want to ordain homosexuals, they can. If they don't, they don't. But let every church decide, and we'll keep unity because our focus is Jesus. It sounds like a bonus screw tape letter. Oh, it's, 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 it's right out of there. So yeah. let's look at the future and say what might happen. We might have increasing persecution. In such a case, the church will be tempted to compromise on what might be called non-essentials. And the church cannot do so. Yep. Um, we cannot do so. Uh, we must hold to God's word, and if it means being shut down, going to meet underground, uh, visiting, worshiping in fields, we, we, we must do so. Um, so we may have a time of persecution where you see the church uh, split based on her stand uh, for scriptural truth, and where Christians may have to do the same, where businesses may lose work, job, income, um, because they won't support LGBT, fly a flag, uh, put a sticker in a window, um, that kind of thing. That, that could happen. On the other hand, we could see a counter swing as people see what is coming and see how far it's gone. Like this, this, these drag queen readings to children, they're horrific. I, I don't know if you've heard of uh, DeSantis's uh, law about that, but he, he made a law that children are not allowed to go to adult entertainment uh, events where they use prosthetic genitals or um, body parts. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's... You know what? That seems like a pretty good idea. Seems like a pretty good idea. <laughs> but that's what's happening. It wasn't illegal before. Like, that's what's happening in these readings. Yeah, that's absurd. It's not just a transgender person reading a book. It's, it's, it's they're sexualizing children and they're introducing them to things that are horrific. Uh, like you, w- you wouldn't take children to a strip club. Oh, it's like, awful. Yeah, it's, it's awful. Anyway. It's terrible. So we may see a reaction to that in our culture. Mm-hmm. We may see someone like Pierre Polyev elected. He's not going to do anything on that though, man. He might not. I don't think so. You're right. And actually that's part of what we need to be aware of. Yeah. The temptation is to think that because we've pulled back a step, yeah. we've won the battle, or there's less for the church you're concerned with, and it's not. Um, we, we Part of the reaction in the U.S., which is stronger than Canada, is to try to allow each person to hold their own belief. I don't know if you heard about Uganda's uh, homosexuality law. Have you heard about that one? I know they're pretty hard on it. Are hard on it from a western perspective i haven't yeah, heard yeah, yeah. exactly what's the so they criminalized there. homosexual activity okay consensual homosexual activity hmm. 
And they made aggressive homosexual behavior, i.e. homosexual rape, a capital offense. Yeah. Is rape a capital offense over there as well? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In response, uh, a guy named uh, Moore, um, I forget his first name, uh, he wrote an article in Christianity Today in the U.S., and he wrote an article saying, do not think that the Ugandan law is Christian. Oh, boy. And what he did is he came out and said, uh, there's all kinds of Christians praising Uganda's law. There's all kinds of Christians. Like like when the law was passed, Christian churches in Uganda uh, held special praise nights. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, don't identify this as a Christian law. He's a Christian, a Moor. Uh, used to be very solid. And he's is. unfortunately gone critical race theory yeah. and he's wandered off. Yeah. Um, but this article basically took First Corinthians 5 and said, hey, we're not supposed to judge those in the world. And said, a Christian view wouldn't allow us to judge people in the world. He took what was called for the church and he applied it to the government. Mm. Where in Romans 13, the government is given the sword to punish evildoers. If homosexuality is evil, What's evil? the government is given the yeah. sword to punish evildoers. So, yeah. anyway, a larger question and debate and lots of fun. Uh, but, in the U.S., the voice is heading towards basically an acceptance and allowance for everyone to practice what's right in their own eyes. It's the third way. Of the CRC. Libertarian. Yeah. It's not a win. You have no basis. It's not a win. You can't go anywhere. No. And if we have it in our nation, so what we might see is we might see a return to some kind of greater morality. Mm -hmm. And in that case, we have to be careful that the church might think their job is done. That we might think the disaster is averted when really people are just finding themselves more entrenched in rebellion against God. Uh, so whatever the Lord gives, whether it's persecution or whether it's a temporary reprieve, and I believe it will only be temporary. I think we're heading in a bad direction. I don't think it'll be turned around easily, but I don't know the future. Either way, the church's response must be uncompromised allegiance to the gospel and diligence and vigilance in making Christ known and mm-hmm. calling for the nations to follow him. Uh, remember our mission. Remember, the power we've been given is not of man. It's not political. It's a gospel that changes hearts and lives. And we have to realize how needed it is in our world, whether we have one prime minister or another, whether we have one set of laws or another. And we need to, in some ways, this whole thing should be a wake-up call to the church. Um, What We've been been content to just have a a place at the table. We've been happy just to say, hey, Christianity can be part of our culture. Oh, great. Look at this. Wonderful. No. Christ has got to be Lord of all. And we have to call for that standard uh, to our world, mm-hmm. whatever the future might hold. Um, are, you call, are you calling for a theocracy then? <laughs> that, that's always the critique there. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Ultimately, uh, no, I'm not calling for theocracy, but ultimately a government that is led and run by people who acknowledge the allegiance of Christ mm-hmm. will uphold godly laws and will punish evil based on what is evil in scripture. It will be the most free because we have a basis. You can't right. have a complete anarchy and right, whatnot. Right, right. There's a, a quote I, I heard once. I uh, don't know who said it. Uh, the ultimate in human, we want to seek the ultimate in human freedom consistent with law and order. Yeah, exactly. And that's a... Which is what America had at its, at its founding. That was the whole trick. Certainly had a greater standard and hold of that than we did, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yes. All right. Well, we got about a little less than half an hour left, so there's still there's so much always to talk about on this topic, which is a lot of fun. I guess a question I I was thinking of earlier when you were chatting and we were discussing this topic. Um, 
Are you worried as a pastor with the speed of all this? We talked about that a little earlier. Um, and I say that to, to give some context just because of how connected the younger generation, and I include myself in this, obviously, is with, with the world at large. Um, we talked about it a bit when we had Chris Gordon on the show, too, and he has this the great catechism for, uh, for understanding some of this. But every day, like, we're being categorized by the world yeah. on the Internet all the time. And it's something, like, personally I've tried to tried to get away from a little more, but it still sucks you right back into mm. it. It's so hard. And it's I can only imagine for, for people 10 years younger than me or whatever, it's uh, it's there all the time. So is that something you're, you're concerned about as a pastor? Is that something you've, you've helped uh, to try to address in our church with, with youth and whatnot and with, with parents? Yeah, I think the um, uh, you had a question there about Rob Dreher and some of his writings, Benedict yeah. Option yeah. and Live Not By Lies. Um, one of the things he emphasizes in terms of countering a totalitarian type of government. So we're in a we're there's no in my mind there's no question we're moving towards totalitarianism for sure uh, in government. Yep. Um, and when he addresses how to deal with that, he emphasizes the importance of the church investing in the family and families investing in the family, not making an idol, uh, but investing yeah. in it heavily. And I think that's very important. I think things like training our parents. Uh, Kids. Pardon me? Training our parents? Training our parents. Oh, as a church training our parents. Yes. Okay, yes, gotcha. yes. Yep. As a church training families, training parents to know how to talk to their children, train their children, have guards for their children, uh, speak to their kids well. Yep. High, high, high importance. Um, in terms of the idea, am I worried about the influence of the internet? And Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, if you could go back, would you take it away? The internet? Yeah, with all the pros and the cons. <laughs> Just a fun question for you. Man. I certainly would take away AI. How about that? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's something that should be canned right now. Yeah, that's not going but, back uh, in the box. So. It's not going back in the box, no. no. But um, so these things, they're, they're going to be huge. And yeah. and uh, the influence that they can have on on people. And not only in terms, so what it is, is uh, so we're studying Revelation in our church. You're yep. aware of that. Yep. And in Revelation, you have these beasts. And, and one is the idea of worldly power. And the other is the idea of a prophet, a propaganda machine that brings others to worship the the, 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 the first beast or the yeah. dragon. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing in the internet, in AI... The potential for massive propaganda uh, yeah. towards ungodliness—it'll never be to Christ in the, in the sense, like you know, it can be used for Christ, but the overall theme right now is definitely against him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I'm concerned with that. I'm concerned with the idea of getting swept on one side. I'm concerned with the idea of getting swept on the other. You mentioned Andrew Tate. Yeah. Like, there's a dangerous guy who teaches somewhat in the name of and scope of the church. Um, yeah, I think he's Muslim, maybe. But he's, oh, is he? okay. Yeah, it's right. there. There are things he's he says. Moral, he's a moral teacher. teacher yes. Yeah, Andrew Peterson, right? Or, so, yeah, Jordan Peterson. Jordan yeah. Peterson. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Andrew Peterson's yeah. great. He's a <laughs> yeah, he's musician good. and writer. Yes, but yes. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. So um, Matt Walsh. Uh, some of these guys have great stuff. Um, but I am. Uh, how about uh, the Muslim guy, Ben Shapiro? Um, Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Jewish. Yes. yes. Um, so. I'm concerned with some of these guys. So I'm concerned with the one side, but also concerned with the other side that we might get swept up into this just nonstop, ah, nonstop rhetoric yeah. that just ramps it up and doesn't deal with real people. No. Right? Gospel ministry is, is real people. Mm-hmm. It's getting to know your neighbors. Yep. Getting to know the people around you, speaking to people, uh, hearing where they're at, loving them where they're at. And this whole internet world, it, it destroys that kind of connection. And that might be one of its greatest dangers is that our kids don't learn how to 
have real relationships with real people mm-hmm. in a way that isn't defined by position papers and, and, and concepts, but hi, my name is so-and-so. Yeah. Who are you? Oh, it relates to what you were talking about earlier on that idea of friendship and just walking alongside yeah. people. Like I was, yeah. again, I was thinking that too. I didn't want to interrupt, but that's such an undervalued tool, I think, today. Absolutely. Because a lot of the people who, who are struggling with their identity yeah. spend a lot of time online and a lot of time alone. Yeah. And just some good friends is can go a long way. Absolutely. People are so lonely. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Being involved, and that's, that's something else. And you have a question about um, should the church withdraw from society? And the answer is absolutely not, of course. But it's also yes. So we'll get to that if we hit that question. But sure. uh, um, being involved with people, getting to know people, hearing them, uh, man, it goes a long way. Um, we make disciples. How are disciples made in the Bible, right? You, you, They walked along with Jesus. Yep. They followed him. Yeah. And uh, to have a life. That, like, one of the things in 1 Corinthians 10 that we discussed earlier is a really fantastic passage just listen to verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, just step back. We used it to talk about pronouns and all that kind of stuff. But just notice the, the context. Paul is speaking to the church and says, hey, when non-Christians invite you over to supper, you want to go? Go. Go. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... Is he living in a world where, where the non-Christians never talk to the Christians? The Christians never talk to the non-Christians? No, he's seeing Christians that are in life with mm-hmm. non-Christians. And by that fact, they're able to break down some of this polarization that's all based on these theoretical ideas. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, Christians hate homosexuals. We, we had, we had a, a, a young woman in our church, and uh, she works in a place where she her partner in work was a homosexual. They had worked together for something like 15 years, he retired. She spoke at his retirement dinner and she spoke glowingly of him. Sure, yeah. As a wonderful co-worker, as a man she appreciated deeply, got to know well and cared for very much. And the great thing was that she never wore an LGBTQ pin. Mm-hmm. She never put the rainbow on her desk. But this man knew she loved him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's because it was personal. Yeah. And it was... A relationship and and when you talk about are we worried with the internet yeah i am but one of the things we have to do as an entire church young or old is make sure we're involved in real life connections love people get to know people that's who christ came for people and i think there's a lot of beauty and power in uh, seeing those relationships uh, built up and you can do it wherever you have your interests. Maybe, you know, I, I know if you want to get to know your neighbors. I, I didn't get to know my neighbor well until I opened the hood of my car. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I had to do a repair on my car, open the hood, and uh, within 10 minutes, my neighbor had his tools and was standing beside me. There you go. Asking if I needed help. Nice. And uh, he knew a lot more than I did, so it was a good thing. But, you know, whatever your interest is, uh, getting to know people and yeah. interacting with them and praying for God to, to put people on your path that you can uh, love and show care to in the name of Christ. Ah, what a beautiful thing that would be. Yeah, and people are looking for it. It's not, yeah. if you just go talk to them, which, yeah. you know, it's hard to take the first step, but people yeah. people are looking Especially for Especially post-COVID. COVID was a terribly isolating It's a big time. opportunity now, though. Huge opportunity. Yep. Let's uh, make connections. Totally, totally. Okay, well, we have talked a lot about uh, most of the things on here, I think. Um, 
you did mention in your in your talk about finding joy uh, in being called to suffer for Christ. Um, if we, you know, if if things do continue to play out as they've been playing out, and the persecute uh, persecution increases, um, like as far as the church is concerned, I guess one, okay, so we need how to find joy in that suffering, and then two, the church in the world um, being that prophetic voice is important, uh, but I'll end. Yeah, being that prophetic voice is important. Sharing the gospel is important, but also making sure that we we can do take care of our own members too, right? And uh, maintain, I don't want to say maintain the purity, maintain the purity of the gospel within the church is, I guess, how I would put that. Um, how how can we how can we balance those two? That's not a great question to ask, honestly. I kind of jumbled that one together, but can can you can you, can you work off of that a little bit? Joy and suffering. First of all, yeah. I don't think we need to manufacture it. Okay. I I I uh I think the Lord gives joy in suffering. Um you know, I think I've become soft as a Christian in some ways, right? Uh you do the work of ministry. I, I wanted to go into missions. I'd done several short term mission trips. I love the mission field. We had a we had a day in the park outreach, uh whole bunch of non-Christians together, and I just, man, I got among people talking about them and talking to them and just loved it. Um, but I remember doing that all the time. And uh, we, can, we, can, we can lose some of our focus sometimes. We can get distracted by the world. I, woke ideology is not the only uh, temptation out there. Yeah, sure. Worldlinesses, um, self-indulgences, living for self, living for our own satisfaction. But when we lose all for Christ, we discover... He actually is worth more than everything. He actually is worth more than our comfort, our homes, our jobs. He is. And if the Lord allows us and gives us that time when we might suffer for Christ, I think we're going to find out just how much we've been missing the beauty of Jesus because of everything that's around us sometimes. I think joy will be a gift of God in the midst of suffering that he gives in a way we can't explain. And yet it will be uh, such a blessing. Uh, such a blessing to have. Um, then you also talked about uh, how do we maintain purity in the church and, and what else? Well, the, the whole, so being the prophetic voice, yeah, uh, which is right. important, but then, okay, so how do you how do you be the prophetic voice of the church? How do you speak to the world if there is also this temptation to kind of go full Benedict option and, and be, you know, because you're worried about right. your kids and, and, yep. and, and all the things of the world is the teaching. Like how how is a Christian to balance those two things in the church? So the Benedict option is the idea that uh, we're going to withdraw a little bit from the world, almost monastically, mm-hmm. like the monks, yep. and uh, maintain our communities, right? Yeah. So uh, truth and falsehood there. Truth. The church is a community. Yep. It is a set-apart, uh, called-out saints, separated from the world. Yep. Um, we baptize, at least in our tradition, our church tradition, we baptize our children to show they are set-apart from the children of unbelievers. They are a community. In that, we have um, our own set of rules and ways we operate. When a non-Christian comes in, they're like, man, what a crazy place this is. What a cult. Yes. <laughs> but we have, like, a lot of our uh, Christian business owners will hire Christians because they know those kids are looking for jobs when they don't work Sundays. Yes. Right? So yep. we take care of each other a little bit that way. We have Christian schools. All those things are a little bit separate from the world. And that's good. I'm not against any of that. I think that's natural and, and part of it. Part of what it means to be a Christian church. Now... Uh, that is there so that we can be distinct from the world while we're still in it. 
And that element is good so that we can maintain purity and teach our kids what is truth, that we may be witnesses in this world. Mm-hmm. And I think when we lose the idea that we are witnesses in this world, that the purpose of all this is the glory of God, uh, not just among those already saved, but among all those God will call to himself in his sovereign will. When we think it's just about us maintaining purity, we've missed it. That's what Israel did. That's why God punished Israel in some senses. Israel forgot that they were to be a light to the nations. Yep. They forgot that they were part of this plan of God, Genesis 12, through this family, he would bless all the families of the earth. And and they, you know, you have exceptions, uh, Ruth and Rahab uh, brought in from outside, but they, they, they weren't that light in the world they were supposed to be. And the church must be. And that's where we have this idea of maintaining purity by, yeah, we aren't going to throw our kids to the wolves. We're not going to give our kids to Rome, so to speak, give our kids to this woke ideology and let them raise our children. Yeah. We're not going to do that. We're going to protect them. We're going to shelter them. We're going to shelter them and prepare them so they can be a witness in the world. And we're going we're gonna to do that by actually, actually uh, not withdrawing from the world, uh, but maintaining it. And I would say first and foremost in the idea of what we talked about of community and of connections and of relationships. It's the number one thing. It's the easiest for any Christian to do. It's much less scary. Befriend your neighbor. Get to know Bob. Mm-hmm. Get to know Muhammad. So. Yeah. You know, not, the, not the prophet, the, uh, <laughs> the Muslim guy Mo, who lives beside neighbor. you. Mo, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the prophetic voice of the church in the world, how do we maintain that prophetic voice? I think there are times for the church to make a statement, um, to say something publicly. I think in our pulpits we can declare what is true and uh, show the lies of the world. Um, but the prophetic voice is, is going to be there. And as we have opportunity, we're going to be hopefully using that. But that's when you might have things like a petition to the government or you might have a, a letter to the government written by a church where we write our sure. local MP and yep. say, hey, this, this, this is wrong. God's word calls for this and this is, this is sinful. We've got to change that. Yep. Yep. So you're pro, pro sheltering kids. Oh, of said. course. Yes. Yeah. So but the also Bible. prepare them. Yes. Yeah, we shelter them so we can prepare them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a, and that's you know consistent with the idea of our of our schools and or homeschooling, whatever. Yeah, and that's, our our schools and homeschooling and everything else is based on scripture, right? You got to train up a child in the way they should go. You exactly. have to make sure you're teaching them how to love the Lord when they get up, when they sit down, when they go out, when they come in, everything. Yep. Yeah, all yep. orbed life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah to do both. You gotta you gotta raise your kids well, but then you also gotta be out sharing the gospel and whatnot. Part of that though is also allowing your kids to interact with their neighbors, mm-hmm. like like. So if you've got, like, we, we've had this in our, in our church. Um, we've got children who play with their neighbors, and their neighbors aren't Christians. Yeah. And they have all kinds of different standards and all kinds of different things. And the neighbors talk to the kids about what they have at school. Yeah. And so you go through with your children why your friend is different, why their school is so different. They don't believe in Jesus. These are the things. This is why that's not right. This is why that's wrong. And your kids learn as they grow Mm-hmm. What it means to be a light because they're not completely segregated from the world. Um, Got to be on your toes interactions. as a parent. Like that's oh yeah. yeah, yeah. A, Hopefully, it's harder talking. Yeah, oh well, yeah. It, do you think it's harder to 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 be a parent nowadays in terms of just yeah. it? Yeah, I do. So I think I think the generation it. gap is more than it's ever been because of the rate at which technology develops. Yeah. So even things like trying to protect your kids from porn, it's insane. Yeah. Um. You know, you 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 grab a, a program and you think it's going to do the trick, and 
it may or may not. Yeah. I mean, you can get around it if that's you want right. to. Yeah. yeah. These kinds of things are tougher because there's so much generationally that can be missed on, on all the new technology. I think it makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. It's my thought, but every generation says it's harder now than it was before. Yeah, that's true. I know. Just, you know, buckle up and, and get to it right, sort of I think thing. It is. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, we're, we're nearing the end of the, the episode here. I think we've covered a tremendous amount of ground. I think we've given people um, some helpful, uh, I say we, I've asked the questions, you've given the answers, but you provided some helpful uh, thoughts and uh, yeah, ways we can interact with the culture, interact with the woke ideology, know how to deal with it in our churches, in our schools, in our families. Um, is there anything you feel like we've missed so far? Anything you want to touch on still on this topic? Yeah, just to end, I think we'd want to hit where do we go from here? Sure. Yeah. And I think the answer is more basic and more difficult than we might assume. Where do we go from here? How do we prepare for what's coming? Love the Lord, love his word, love his church, love the lost. Um, it's remarkable how no matter what guys the devil takes, the answers are always Christ. And I think if we think about, if we're as parents or as, as, as churches, we're looking at this thing, we're saying, what do we do? How do we get through this? All scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable to make us, to edify, teach, so man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, yep. including today. Um, love the word of God. Study it honestly. Take time to be with the Lord. Take time in prayer. Bring your kids to God in prayer. Bring your lost neighbors to God in prayer. Um, strive to be faithful in allowing the Spirit to talk to your heart and convict you of where you're falling into sin. Um, pray the prayers of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, how do we approach this world? Um, how do we live in a time when it seems like the enemy is growing stronger? Well, Christ is always the victor. He's always the king. He will never lose a sheep from his hand. Draw near to him. Love him. Love his word. You don't have to listen to a thousand podcasts. You don't have to read a thousand books. Uh, dig into the scriptures. Tackle this honestly. Do so in a church, in a community. Ask questions. How do you help out with your kid in this way? How do you help out with that? And find as you go, you'll iron will sharpen iron. And uh, the Lord will bless. So I don't, I don't want to create a, a scary monster. Mm-hmm. He is a scary monster, but Christ has got his foot over his neck and he's about to stamp yeah and uh romans 16 says the lord will soon crush the devil under your feet uh love the lord love his word uh be humble prayerful and courageous and bold as a lion uh because the devil flees when we resist him and the gospel is the power of god to salvation so stick to the basics and press on very good yeah that's that's been my takeaway honestly from this whole chat Hmm. you can get all heady with it and you can try to understand what's going on and you can go kind of down more of a political road but all roads lead back to the gospel at the end of the day absolutely absolutely wonderful that's that's been some real talk right there so that's great thanks lucas all righty thanks thanks to the listeners for tuning in let us know if you have any questions or concerns always happy to address those and until next time keep having real talk Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want
you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time.